Hello and good morning. Again, I'm grateful for you uh, to be here with me, and I hope that God blesses our time together. The Lord be with you. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your mercies that come to us fresh this morning. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins. And thank you for giving us course correction when we lose our way. And thank you for hearing our prayers, especially for those that we love, for those who are in need, for those who are, are oppressed and exploited, and just in general for the, the state of people in our nation and in the world. We draw close to you now because you have made this possible through Jesus Christ, your son. We come to your scripture because they speak to us the words of eternal life. And we come to you yourself because you have adopted us. We do belong to you and you do love us. You always will. And you will always love us infinitely. We return your love to you with our praise and our worship, knowing that you are going to continue to bring our lives closer and closer to you until we reach that perfect state in heaven with you forever. And all this through Jesus Christ, your son and our savior, who together with you and the Holy Spirit reigns forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to read this morning from Acts chapter 19, uh, verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. Some of what I have to say this morning is going to sound like a repetition of last week. And I'm okay with that. Um, in fact, I think we need to hear these lessons on sacred writings again and again to really get the truth in us and to have a practice of reading scripture as sacred writings. And so my intention today is, is not just to repeat last week, but to build on what we went over last week. And, um, and that is, uh, again, our, our, our scriptures are sacred writings, and we don't know how to read sacred writings. We know how to read email and uh, news reports and 
letters, but we don't know how to read sacred writings. But we've learned that we read them with reverence, with receptivity and responsiveness. We read them with self-reflection. And last week, uh, we read them with the Spirit of God. So today, I want to emphasize that we read the sacred writings as spirit to spirit. And the first spirit is a capital S, God's spirit to our spirit. And what we're doing today, hopefully, is moving into a deeper place of what happens in us during the time of reading sacred writings. So again, we open this door to the scripture, we stand in the threshold and prepare ourselves to come into the scripture with reverence. And now we're preparing ourselves for an encounter with God, which is spirit to spirit. Paul's question to these disciples in Acts 19 is interesting. It's unique in all of his other encounters with people. Paul never asked anyone else in, in the book of Acts and his travels and everything. He never asked anyone else, um, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? <clears throat> I think it's fair to say that he discerned in them that something was missing. They had followed the ministry of John the Baptist. They had beliefs and they also believed. But there was a missing dynamic. This is what I'm guessing. That there, there was something <clears throat> about their lives, about their conversation with Paul, that, that had him thinking, where's, where's the life of the Spirit in them? And he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Now their answer is, is an exaggeration. We haven't even heard if there's a Holy Spirit. Well, yes, they have, because John the Baptist message was the one coming him after him would baptize in the spirit and fire so they had heard of it they just did not know that that experience was now available to them <clears throat> this same dynamic had been missing from paul's very devout uh, religious life when god sent uh, Ananias to pray for for Paul he came to him and he said brother Saul the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit Paul did some rather remarkable things and his ed education was rather remarkable up to this point but he had done all of this in the energy of his own uh, personhood, his own self, or we could say his own spirit. <clears throat> and that same dynamic is missing from many Christians' lives. Uh, there are many Christians, you, you almost wonder, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And, and that it's missing from their lives means that they're trying to do Christianity in their own power, whatever that, that power may be. <clears throat> they're, they're going in their own energy. 
the Christian life can be lived, I mean, the, the genuine Christian life can be lived only in the Spirit of God and through His working in us. <clears throat> Howard Hendricks was a, a very um, entertaining Bible teacher. Uh, and I heard one time, uh, one of his sermons, he said that, uh, he was talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit and having that divine energy. And people, you know, think of this uh, many times in the charismatic Pentecostal movements as filled with the Holy Spirit with power to work miracles, to prophesy, to speak in tongues or whatever. And he said, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit to get down on the floor and play with our children. And I thought, how, how true is that? That if we think we can do anything on our own power, that's going to be of eternal significance, we're mistaken. We need the Holy Spirit to talk to our neighbor. We need the Holy Spirit to be in us when we walk through the grocery store, whether we say anything to anyone or not. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives so that when other Christians meet us, they don't leave wondering, did they receive the Holy Spirit when they believed? We want that dynamic of God's life in us so that we are really what we're supposed to be and so that it, it shines through us. <clears throat> we definitely need the help of the Holy Spirit when we are reading the sacred writings. Father Romuald, again, he was a mentor of mine for the two years that I, I knew him and spent time with him prior to his death. He said regarding his own tradition, our approach to the scriptures is that if you're not in the Holy Spirit, why even bother? Throw the book away and do something more useful. But we must believe that the Word and the Spirit come together. The only way a community could hear the Word proclaimed or an individual could read the Word is in the same Holy Spirit that inspired the Scriptures. Now, what I want to communicate today uh, can be summarized in part uh, in a psalm. <clears throat> and this is from Psalm 42. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Deep calls to deep at the noise of your waterfalls. I would call this a psalm of depression. Now, that's not a category of psalms that other uh, preachers or teachers uh, acknowledge. We have psalms of praise and psalms of lament and psalms of the individual and psalms of the community. We have messianic psalms. But I find several psalms of depression in, in the book of Psalms. The, the, the poet here asks the type of questions that people ask when they're depressed. He asks, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? There's a, there is a grotto on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea 
in the northern part of Israel. You can only get down to this grotto by a cable car because it's at the bottom of a cliff. And it's, it's this beautiful cave-like area. I mean, it really is something to walk through. There's quite a bit of it. It's not just one small room. It's, it's room after room and, and roomy rooms. And uh, walking through it, I've only visited there once, but going through it, when the waves crash inside the grotto, which they actually do, they thunder. The, the reverberations of the thunder goes through the entire grotto. It's quite magnificent. And I imagine that the poet had visited a place like that, where he says, deep calls to deep at the noise of your waterfalls or water spouts or, or water explosions. And he talks about the breakers and, his, and God's waves going over his head. And he, he sensed some kind of correspondence between the depths of the ocean and, and the depths of its majesty and greatness and his own inner depths. That deep was calling to the, the depth in him. You know, when a person is depressed, they become introspective. Um, they wonder, what's the matter with me? How do I get out of this? What's bringing me down? Why, oh my soul, are you cast down and troubled? And he, real, he, he goes deep in himself, and, and now he's experienced something in nature that touches that depth, deep calls to deep. That's how we read the sacred writings. Their depth finds the deep places in us. I can't tell you how much psychological insight and direction I've received through reading the scriptures. How they've helped me to discover myself and have a better understanding not only of who I am but but what it is I'm to do in this world. The depths of scripture find the depths of our own inner self. You know the societies of humankind do not spring up from the earth That is, the organization and structure of societies are not produced naturally. Like, say, for example, an ant colony where each ant is living out some kind of instinct within it. And by doing his individual thing, he is cooperating with all these other ants, thousands of other ants, creating this this colony, this is all springing up from the earth. This is all natural and organic. But human society is a fabrication. Now, in English, there are two meanings to the word fabrication. Uh, one meaning is something that has been invented or manufactured. Uh, plastic does not um, grow from the ground. Uh, it's manufactured. 
The other meaning of fabrication is a lie. And I think that's interesting because um, not that what humans produce is a lie, but it's not the real thing in, in terms of what comes from nature, like fruit or vegetables or, or blossoms. We can fabricate silk blossoms, but they're not the real thing. The New Testament refers to human societies as the world. And we have these, these passages like, do not love the world or the things, that is, the things that are of the world. For all that is of the world, the desire of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, are not of the Father, but of this world, and like the world, they're passing away. That's from 1 John chapter 2. Um, Paul warns us away from the world. What's interesting is that a scholar like uh, Hannah Arendt, who did know the Bible, that she also uh, refers to human societies as the world. She says, this world, however, is not identical with the earth or with nature as the general condition of organic life. It is related rather to the human artifact, the fabrication of human hands, as well as to affairs which go on among those who inhabit the man-made world together. To live together in the world means essentially that a world of things is between those who have it in common, as a table is located between those who sit around it. The world, like every in-between, relates and separates people at the same time. Because we're all in this the social world together, we, uh, we are related, but also the things of the world get in between us, so we are separate. The world of society structures the lives of the people who live in it. It, it does this through government in the sense of law and order, but I think in a more relevant and even stronger way through cultures, through popular culture or ethnic cultures. People's lives are shaped, uh, their personalities are formed, the self is developed. Hannah Arendt says, to not live in the world means to be deprived of reality. Why is that? Um, and she gives examples like the slave. The slave wasn't a person. Uh, the slave was a commodity. Uh, the slave was part of a workforce, but, not, but had no identity, had no citizenship, had no rights within Roman society or with any other society uh, for that matter. Um, and so being deprived of reality means that they have no place in the public square. They don't appear in public necessarily. Uh, and if they go through a public space, they're invisible, they're not noticed, no one pays attention. To be invisible Is to, is to be as if you don't exist in the world. If you're not seen, you don't exist, as far as the world is concerned. Uh, and at least not as a human person. 
Anna Arendt makes a remarkable observation. She says, historically, we know of only one principle that was ever devised to keep a community of people together who had lost their interest in the common world and felt themselves no longer related and separated by it. To find a bond between people strong enough to replace the world was the main political task of early Christian philosophy. And she says that with, with St. Augustine, that principle was charity. Um, that's an old word, old English word for love, translating the Greek word agape. That love can form the bond to create a community that can have a real existence outside the world, uh, you know, within its own community. Uh, she said, and that was, that was based on charity. And that is admirably fit to carry a group of essentially worldless people through the world. Uh, I, I love that. That sounds a lot like what we read in the book of Hebrews, that here we have no abiding city. Paul says our citizenship is in heaven. So if the, the priority of our life is not our citizens of any nation on earth, but our citizenship in heaven, how, how do we form a community around that? And the answer is love. Love connects us together so that as worldless people, we're carried through the world. We're carried through the world in our own community, which is of God's spirit. Now, the person that I identify as me, I, um, in the world is my false self. That's because the world has shaped me. And, and the world in that sense can mean any influence that um, doesn't come from nature, but participates in human society, including family members and culture. The, the self is shaped and conformed to the world, shaped by and conformed to. And Paul said, don't be conformed to the world. And he, he knows that that's what happens. He knows that that's what automatically takes place in people who live in the world. Don't be conformed to the world. Why? Because it produces this false self, which Paul calls the flesh versus the spirit, which he calls the old self versus the new self in Christ, or he calls the natural person versus the spiritual person. He has these different ways of talking about what today we describe as the false self, the egoic self. He tells us that when Jesus enters a person's life, the old self has to go. That's pretty much the thrust of Romans chapter six, uh, as well as other places. Like when he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. Jesus said, for whoever would save his soul will lose it. 
But whoever loses his soul for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Well, how can we be saving our soul and yet losing it, or losing our soul yet saving it? And I think that Jesus is talking about two different souls. <clears throat> that we lose the false soul or self in order to gain the true self or the new self or soul. Does that make sense? Do you get that? That if we live the life of our false self, if we hang on to that, if we cling to that, we'll never become our true self. But if we live, if we let go of that false self, in Christ we're made a new person, a new creation. The old passes away and everything becomes different and changed. Now here's a sad thing. The false self can be religious. The false self can be very pious. It can have a form of godliness, Paul said but without its power. But the false self cannot know God and cannot please God. <clears throat> Let me read, <clears throat> pardon me, read to you from Romans chapter 8. For those who live according to the flesh or the false self set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That's pretty clear, isn't it? <clears throat> so the false self can be very religious and assume, look what a good job I'm doing. I'm reading my Bible, I'm going to church, I'm saying prayers. Um, it's, it's like the Pharisee who stood in the temple and said, Thank you, God, I'm not like other men, that I fast twice a week, I'm in the synagogue on the Sabbath, I observe your commandments, and, and I'm not a sinner like that tax collector over there. That's the false self being religious. And, and it's sad when a Christian, a person professing Christianity, is their false self being religious. And they haven't died to that self in order to become the new person in Christ. The false self is a fabrication like the world it inhabits. It's not real. Your true self is spirit. Whoa. <laughs> your, your true self is spirit. And that's the rewiring of your brain. It, it comes from God's spirit and, and enlivening our spirit. The, the, the spirit is the life of our spirit self. Again, in Romans 8, Paul says, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Excuse me. 
God giving us life in these mortal bodies through his spirit. <clears throat> when you read Romans chapter 8, we discover that the spirit leads us, that the spirit speaks to us, that the spirit helps us to pray and prays within us, sometimes with groaning that cannot be uttered. Our relationship and interaction with God is spirit to spirit. I don't know if God has ever appeared to you. I don't know if you've had visions, if you've seen angels. That's not how God generally speaks to us, communicates with us, interacts with us. It is his spirit communicating with our spirit. If, if we haven't become our true self, or if we're not in the process of becoming that true self, then we're trying to make sense of our lives just with our own intellect, and maybe the scripture, and maybe some theology, and some teaching, and some religious rituals and practices, but it's not the same as a living dynamic of the spirit. And I'm going back to uh, Romans chapter 8 again, and verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. In the same language Jesus used in the Garden of Gethsemane, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. John, in 1 John, will say, how do we know that we're God's children? By his Spirit that he's given to us. God's Spirit confirms in our spirit that we're children of God. Bernard Ram was a, a brilliant conservative Protestant theologian uh, of the 20th century. Uh, much of what he wrote is still uh, worth reading today, still insightful and uh, full of inspiration, but his intellect was huge. He wrote an entire book on the witness of the Spirit that comes from this verse here in Romans 8.16. He said that the witness is the touch of the divine Spirit upon the human spirit. See, I said that too. He, he just said it better. What the Father speaks, the Son mediates. And what the Son mediates is actually spoken into the ear by the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit who makes the heart burn as the word is heard. You might recognize that from Luke 24 where the two disciples on the road to Emmaus meet Jesus and as he speaks uh, the truth of the Old Testament to them, their hearts burn within them. Ram says, the Holy Spirit is the internal minister of the word who speaks the compelling and persuasive word to the human heart. When the word spoken penetrates the ear of the listener, the internal minister speaks it to the heart. So we have the objective 
word of God outside of us, but then we have the subjective voice of the Spirit speaking that word to us in our hearts. One more quote from Ram. He said, The actual bringing of Christ to the consciousness of the believer by the Spirit through the word results in an experience. The act whereby the Holy Spirit takes Christ out of the realm of idea and history and makes him a reality to the believer. That's the, that is the witness of the Spirit when Jesus is real to us. And nothing can do this for us. There's no argument, there's no logic, uh, there's no magical Bible verse that can just make this happen. It has to be the Holy Spirit using the scripture to bring this, this experience. Jesus is real. He's real and he's here and he's now. We can, we can meditate on that, but it's not the same thing as the Holy Spirit making it real for us. This is what I mean by reading the sacred writings spirit to spirit. As we are reading, because these are sacred writings inspired by the Holy Spirit, that Spirit of God is speaking to our spirit, giving us what we need. God will tell you exactly what you need to hear from Him. It may not be what you want to hear, it may not be what you asked to hear, but He'll tell you what you need to hear as His Spirit speaks to your spirit. This is what I meant by deep calling to deep. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, <clears throat> pardon me, and verse 9, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Actually, interpreting spiritual to interpreting or combining or comparing spiritual to spiritual. That's spirit to spirit. I mean, that where the Holy Spirit takes things that are spiritual and brings that spirituality to life in us. And Paul says the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things but it is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ and so here are the depths of God explored by the Holy Spirit or, or known to the Holy Spirit 
which he brings into our depths, giving us the mind of Christ, the thoughts of Christ. You know, in the book of Isaiah, God tells Israel, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. Your thoughts are way down here. Your ways are way down here. You live in this, this human world, and that's where your thoughts are. The, the, the gravity holds them close to the ground. But as high as the heavens are above the earth, so my thoughts are above your thoughts, my ways above your ways. Well, how can we ever know that? If the Holy Spirit brings those higher thoughts down into our hearts and minds, down into our spirit, where they become real to us. They become our thoughts, our ways. Eugene Peterson says, Eugene Peterson, you know who he is. He wrote uh, the Message Bible that uh, Rich Milstead affectionately calls the Bible for Dummies. Eugene Peterson said, the Christian scriptures are the primary text for Christian spirituality. Christian spirituality is, in its entirety, rooted in and shaped by the scriptural text. We don't form our personal spiritual lives out of random assemblage of favorite text in combination with individual circumstances. We are formed by the Holy Spirit in accordance with the text of Holy Scripture. God does not put us in charge of forming our personal spiritualities. We grow in accordance with the revealed word implanted in us by the Spirit. Or as Bernard Ram said, in its simplest definition, revelation is God making himself known. And this knowing is a spiritual knowing. And that's why we can only come to it with the help and instruction of the Holy Spirit. Do you, do you see how we cannot get this from the scriptures on our own? The holy writings are made alive to us by the Holy Spirit, the sacred text, the sacred spirit, speaking to our spirit in order to make us holy as well. A German theologian, Hans Wolf, um, wrote a wonderful book of biblical anthropology where he talks a lot about the human body and, and what, it, what its meaning is in scripture. He says, breath, and, and remember, breath is also spirit. Breath, as the characteristic of life, shows that man is insolu insolubly connected with Yahweh, the name of God. Everything to do with man is earthly and material, even though it is formed by Yahweh himself. But man's existence as a living being, thanks to Yahweh's infusion of the breath of life, makes the human person a living being. Thus breath, as a basic function of human life, is to keep man bound together with his creator. And and Wolf is using breath as a synonym of spirit. It's this breath of life that God breathes into us. After Jesus' resurrection, when he met with his disciples in John's Gospel, chapter 20, we're told he breathed on them and said, 
receive the Holy Spirit. I, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that we don't pray down, maybe last week, we don't pray down the Holy Spirit. And this last week I went back to, or no, the, the week before this, I went back to scripture and saw how it speaks of the Spirit in our lives. And it's not us working up the Spirit or conjuring the Spirit. It is receive the Spirit. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Jesus said, receive the Spirit when he breathed on them. Father Romulan said, if you can breathe, you have a hope that you could recognize the Spirit in you and in the Scriptures. If you can breathe, God's breath that he gave to us when he, he pressed his lips to Adam's mouth and breathed in him the breath of life, if you can breathe in there's hope that we can recognize the Spirit in ourselves and in the Scriptures, Spirit to Spirit speaking to us. We can, we can receive the Spirit giving us that kind of access uh, that the Spirit has to the depths of God and that same access He has to our human depths. He explores every level of our being. So to read sacred text spirit to spirit is a very close and personal experience. Read the sacred writings very personally when you read them spirit to spirit. Joel Green said, as we read the Bible as revealed history, we come better to understand that this story is our story. When we approach the Bible as Christian scripture, or I say sacred writings, we take seriously the faith statement that this book is our book. These scriptures are our scripture. We are not reading someone else's mail. This was written to us. Helmut Thielke said, here the word is a personal and not purely verbal event. The Spirit speaks the Holy Scriptures to us. It's personal. It's not simply verbal. I'm studying words and phrases and syntax. Hans von Balthasar said, the word need not be apprehended as something alien. I don't have to open the Bible and say, oh, this is long ago, a different culture, a different language. I don't get it. We don't have to read it as something alien, some other. It can be understood to be what is most our own, what is most intimate and close to us. It is my truth, the truth of me and about me, the word which reveals me and gives me to myself. For we have been created in this word, and it contains the entire truth. Do you see how God can be your counselor through Scripture? I'm not saying your only counselor, um, but he gives us the spiritual counsel we need in order to walk with him, have a life in him. And out of that comes a great deal of healing on other levels. This right here is an important clue as how to read the sacred writings spirit to spirit. 
Reading the sacred writings, spirit to spirit, will be personal and prayerful. They'll be personal because God's spirit shows us our true selves, that we are children of God. We're nothing less than that. Um, we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. It doesn't mean that we're equal to Jesus, but we are children of God, even as Jesus is a child of God. And so he's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. We read the, um, I'm sorry, the scriptures honor you. You're made in God's image. We read the scriptures in such a way that you are not a problem that needs to be solved, but you are a mystery that needs to be explored. A mystery that we explore with the Holy Spirit who has the flashlight shining on everything that he wants us to see. The sacred writings, reading them spirit to spirit means reading them prayerfully. Um, and there are two ways to read them prayerfully. One is with the intellect as we meditate on them. And the other is with the spirit or the heart as we contemplate them. We read them devotionally. So especially, uh, I mean, we want to meditate. We want to ask the important questions that get us to the heart of what a verse means. I mean, sometimes we, we need to struggle with scripture to really understand it if that's our goal. But to have it speak to us, we contemplate it. Helmut Thielke says, with the Bible, one must first pray one's way into it. We, we pray our way into our reading. Richard Rohr said, most of us have not been taught the practice or the patience to stand guard over this seemingly empty space where your inner witnessing presence, uh, your quiet inner knower dwells. You must learn to trust this knower. The spirit is doing the knowing and loving in you, with you and for you. Most Christians have not been taught contemplation. Contemplation is learning how to abide in and with the witnessing presence planted within you, which of course is the Holy Spirit. That's a lot, but um, I don't know, maybe you can rewind this and listen to it again, or, uh, or go find uh, the quote for yourself. It will be on our blog site this week. But the point is, a lot of us have not learned contemplative prayer. We haven't learned to sit with the Holy Spirit and a passage of scripture, silently holding it in our hearts until the Spirit of God speaks to us what we need to hear. We need to be with it. We need to hold on to it for a serious amount of time. I mean, at least a minute or two with our full focus and concentration in order for it to take root in us. So to read spirit to spirit, you might want to, when you open your Bible, take a big deep breath, 
Hold it for a moment. Remember that you're in the threshold now, entering to sacred space. And then exhale and focus on the presence of the Holy Spirit with you and in you and in the scripture. And know that the Spirit is going to be speaking to you now and that you need to pay careful attention. But you don't need to work at it. You need to sit with it. You need to read slowly enough to see what's there. And then when something speaks to you, respond to it. You might read it once and ask, what does this mean? Read it again, asking yourself, what is God saying to me through this? Read it again and ask, now what does God want me to do? And that we'll talk about a little bit more next week. <sighs> okay, I love you. Thank you for your patience and listening to me today. I know there's a lot of quotes, but smarter people than I, wiser, godlier people than I have said these things much better than I could say. And uh, besides, it shows you I'm not just, you know, uh, talking out of my own head that there are uh, wiser people who have said these things. Anyway, you have a wonderful week. May the Lord bless us, watch over us, keep us and our families safe, give us significant contact with each other. So even if it's not in the flesh, it's in the spirit. And, and that, that joining in the spirit is real. May the Holy Spirit bring this reality to us and the reality that we are God's children. And that makes us special to God and to each other. The Lord bless us, keep away all evil, and lead us into eternal life in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Okay.